My friends, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us his Holy Spirit to open our ears and to hear his word, to hear his promise of mercy and peace and everlasting favor. Amen. The dynamics of power and weakness, pride and humility, loftiness and lowliness captivate us constantly. It's the way of the world. Who is powerful? Who is weak? Are you using your power wisely or wrongly? Our eyes are fixed and our attention is held so often by stories of someone powerful being taken down a peg. And doesn't it just feel good? Perhaps a tyrant finally got what he deserved. And people around him organized together in order to stand up against an oppressive system and to speak truth to power and to bring power back into balance. It's nice to see someone finally getting what they deserve, of course. But even more than that, more enthralling to us are the stories that speak of the weakling triumphing. It's the stories of the underdog that really, really catch our attention and hold on to us. They're few and far between, but oh goodness, do we hold on to them greatly. It's the story of the small and insignificant weakling who conjures up some sort of secret sauce inside of herself, or he who mustered some unseen inner, inner strength in order to do what couldn't be done, to overcome all odds, if just for a moment. Everybody cheers for the underdog. And you know why we cherish those stories, right? Because in them, you take hope for yourself. In seeing your own weakness, you take a bit of hopefulness that in your weakness and in your own lowliness, that there might still be a possibility for you to change the world, for you to change your life, that there is some untapped power inside of you just waiting for the right circumstances, for that right moment, just waiting inside in order to burst forth at some point. As long as we know that the weaklings, that the lowly can triumph, well then there's still hope for me and for you. In our eyes, in each of our eyes, looking at ourselves, we know that we aren't nothing just yet. And being nothing is really our greatest fear. To be lost, to be insignificant, to be worthless in the world. And so we hold on to the stories of the underdog, of the weakling, of the lowly that triumph because there we know that we aren't insignificant either. Well, after receiving the unbelievable news from the angel Gabriel that Mary would soon bear Jesus, she makes haste to go visit Elizabeth. 
She sets out for the hill country to see her relative, but also Zechariah. But he's of no use at this point because he can't really speak and he's not much help. And it's not hard for us to imagine a young girl being told that she's going to be pregnant, being a little scared and worried about what all that means, and that she would seek out advice from an older relative. But this wasn't just a trip to find a supportive mentor, someone who could help her through this. Because after all, Elizabeth was old, but she had never had a child of her own. She was barren. She was beyond the age of bearing children. And yet, the angel had told her that her relative Elizabeth would also be soon bearing a child. Elizabeth being pregnant was evidence that nothing is impossible with God. That this news that Mary had received also wasn't a figment of her imagination, but was a message that actually came from God, that God was going to do this, not in Mary's power, not in Elizabeth's power, but by God's power. Because if an elderly Elizabeth cannot have a child, then it's not too far off for Mary to actually trust and believe that she could give birth to a son, a son of the Most High God. And that's the point of Mary's song. After she sees Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says, look, it's happening here. God is at work. She sings this song that we call the Magnificat, that we sing throughout Advent, that we sing in evening prayer, that we know quite well about God casting down the high and powerful and raising up the lowly, filling the hungry and ignoring the full. It isn't about Mary's meekness and mildness or her humility at all. It's about what God has done and is doing and promises to do in Jesus Christ. Mary is singing because Jesus' birth means that the new kingdom of God, long promised, long expected, is arriving. It's approaching. It's near and dear. But as usual, God's kingdom arriving doesn't sound at first like good news. It's not welcomed with open arms. Read your Bible. Anytime an angel appears, fear and trembling are the emotion that dominate. The news of God's arriving kingdom is troubling. It's scary because it means everything that we expect, everything that we can count on, is being rewritten. It's changing. And we can't control it. It's scary and troubling to Mary also. Not just because she's going to be pregnant, but because Mary has found out that God looks with favor upon the lowly. So it's no wonder then that we begin to praise her humility and her meekness, to look at her virtues and say, oh, God really favored her in all her lowliness. If only then we could attain that great high virtue. And so we look for ways for Mary to be our example. How would we be lowly and accepting like her? 
How in my life can I become less proud and more humble? How could I make myself lower and lower so that I could get more and more of God's favor? Because that must be what God wants from us after all, right? What God is looking for us. That we would find that magic portal to humility in order that we would attain God's favor by some virtue within ourselves. That small hidden power that lies deep within. But it's something like a garden, and I am no gardener, so I can claim humility in that. But the gardener knows that her work is not to grow the plants, but is to dig and to plant and to feed and water and watch the growth happen. But in humility, this gardener might look down at the plants that are growing and think, you know what, I'm way above them. How might I become more plant-like? Wow, those carrots and beets are so much lower than I. But in turn, the carrots and the beets likewise look down upon themselves, and what do they find but bugs and worms crawling around thinking, oh my goodness, there is more lowliness to find. And so the plants might be aspiring to a deeper lowliness and envy even the bugs. And the bugs, of course, envy the garden tools that can't even move themselves. And the garden tools are jealous of the sunshine that comes from who knows where. And the sunshine says, well, I'm still above the dirt. And you can't get lower than dirt, right? And around and around you go until finally you realize that if you're trying to become humble, the final answer is that you must become nothing after all. Losing it all, every bit of yourself. And that is the worst possible outcome because then you've lost all your own power, all of your own possibility, and from there, from nothingness that is, you can't even claim to be trying to be humble any longer. But this, of course, is what Mary comes to believe, that God is doing to us, that God is humbling us, that God is fulfilling his promise in Jesus Christ by bringing everything to nothing so that everything might be found in the power of God's promise given in Jesus Christ. Her soon-to-be son, soon-to-be-born son, is going to be the end of all of the pretending and posturing about our worthiness. No longer aspiring to be the hardest at trying. No longer saying, but this I have attained. No longer looking at your loftiness or your lowliness as your own. Because finally it wasn't, it isn't what you have done for him that matters. But what he is doing for you that is everything. That is what God has promised to you. For true humility, you realize, doesn't even recognize itself as humility. It doesn't know that it's humble. Just as those who know God's favor no longer care how they got it. In fact, we think nothing more of our power and our wealth and our smarts and our strength 
for they are nothing in the kingdom of God. Instead, we know only the gifts of faith, knowing God's promise, trusting wholeheartedly with all that you are in what he has promised to do for you. Trusting in the word that God comes in Jesus Christ. It is all of this that caused Mary to be afraid and troubled and confused, not just the pregnancy, but in realizing that in Jesus' birth, the whole world is turning around. A whole new order is coming that doesn't rely on her, but relies seriously and simply on the good news of the kingdom coming into the world. This is the news of God bringing Jesus into the world. This is what brought her low and humbled her, which humbles us. So much so that she no longer sang a song about herself and all that she was and could do, but sang the Magnificat about what God is doing in the world and says, my soul magnifies him. That is, makes him great even as she is shrinking Altogether, we become nothing so that he becomes everything for us. Jesus comes into the world in order to burst the bubbles of pride and strength that we surround ourselves with, that hold us in, that give us a sphere of influence where our power can live, burst them, popping them so they vanish utterly right before us so that we have nothing, nothing but the life of Christ to cling to. God literally brings the old creation to nothing in order to create nothing into something because that's what God is always doing, creating out of nothing, taking nothing of the old but creating everything new. And so we are created anew in the birth of Christ our Lord, created anew to live by faith alone, trusting that in Jesus Christ you are nothing, nothing except a beloved, favored child of God by his promise. Amen.